This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Mizugai. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Captains, you're listening to episode 276 of Priority One Podcast, your weekly report on all things Star Trek, available for download or streaming on Monday, June 27th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. And I'm Kenna. And as always, in the recording studio is our audio engineer, Winters. Hello, everybody. All right, Kenna, what do we have this week? Well, this week we trek out the new guidelines issued by CBS for fan films, and Brian Fuller reveals just how far production on the new Trek series has progressed. In Star Trek Online news, Mark and I are taking a trip to the JJ-verse, yes, the JJ-verse, and looking at whether you'll want to shell out for the latest ships. Later, our science advisor Dr. Hurt is here with the latest report from the Astrometrics Lab. And as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Of course, don't forget to keep the conversation going by visiting us on Facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast or on Twitter at Priority One Pod. You can also send us an email via incoming at Priority One Podcast.com. And finally, thanks again to all our Patreon supporters who make this show possible from week to week. Visit us at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One and find out about all the cool perks we have to offer. Speaking of Patreon perks, this week on Priority One After Hours. Chris Pine, who played Sherlock Holmes in the new Star Wars film. But it's, ag- again, if he blew up Cra- Praxis, then surely... Crapsis. We would... Crapsis. <laughs> it is, can Star Trek make a cerebral, a.k.a. intelligent, thought-provoking film in today's film industry? This unscripted, uncensored, and unedited recording is available exclusively to our Patreon subscribers. If a financial contribution isn't an option, there are other ways that you can help improve Priority One. For instance, we're looking for a team of bloggers to help report on all things Star Trek on our website, PriorityOnePodcast.com. So if you're always in the know about Star Trek news, then shoot us an email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Now let's check out some of the latest news in the world of Star Trek. Jump what places? I don't know. Then let's check it out. Well, it's happened. CBS and Paramount have finally released a new set of guidelines that fans must follow when producing their own films. This, of course, a seemingly reactionary move in lieu of the production of the film Axanar, a crowdfunded feature film set in the Star Trek universe. Perhaps the most controversial restriction is, quote, the fan production must be less than 15 minutes for a single self-contained story, or no more than two segments, episodes, or parts, not to exceed 30 minutes total, 
with no additional seasons, episodes, parts, sequels, or remakes, end quote. That means, in essence, that productions like Star Trek Continues really can no longer move forward with new stories and new episodes. Personally, I'm not a fan of the 15-minute restriction, which they clearly pulled from the guidelines for Star Wars fan films. Now, Doug Drexler on his Facebook page suggested that producers should think of this more as a creative challenge and reminded his followers that even Gene Roddenberry started off writing 22-minute episodes as his first gig. I think the problem is not that these guidelines have finally been issued. It's, it's really the, the negativity that's surrounding it, right? It's, it's that this has been a reactionary move from CBS instead of it being premeditated. It doesn't matter how lenient CBS would have been in these new guidelines. The fact that these have been published as a reaction to a threat against their property means that everyone in the Star Trek community is going to look at this and, and say, gee, thanks, Axanar. Had it not been for them, we wouldn't need guidelines. But let's face it. If it wasn't Axanar, it was going to be somebody else. I believe that it really was an error on CBS and Paramount's part to not publish these types of guidelines early on, years ago, when productions like Star Trek Continues and, and Star Trek of Gods and Men had been initially released. Even if it meant hurting existing productions. Because at the time, the reaction from the community would have likely have been a more surprised reaction, like, why are they suddenly doing this now, rather than angry that this is a result of somebody else's production. And I mean, if you think about it, how much money is being spent right now on this litigation between CBS, Paramount, and Axanar, when, when all of this could have been avoided had they taken just a few hours to, to have put together these guidelines, this 730-word document? Now, I disagree with you on a, on a small point. I think that... I think that if they released exactly... Well... No, I think some of the anger is really around some of the more minor points of this that really seem petty and like they're specifically like a veiled threat to existing productions. And there's the one that the one well, the ones that that stick out to me are about you can't use any costumes or props that are not officially licensed products so theoretically anybody who's done anything so far and made their own costumes you're in violation and there's also a clause in there that says they have to be amateurs and by amateurs they mean nobody who's ever worked on any Star Trek property or any licensed Star Trek property can ever work on a fan film and that seems those two things seem needlessly petty and really make it impossible for anybody to really do anything. I think that's more than a challenge. That's a, we're going to make it purposely difficult for you to do it because the 15 minute thing I get, and you could get some, um, some enterprising teenager with a great storyline could put together a good, you know, 15 or 30 minute piece but they're not going to be able to do it without funds because they have to buy all their costumes and props. And they can't get any, any help from anybody who 
you know, might want to support it. Okay, now, I, I understand the costumes situation, right? If, if, you know, it's cheaper to make your own than to try to buy officially licensed product. And mind you, the, you know, the, the officially licensed cheapo uniforms are exactly that, cheapo, right? They're Party City cheapo Halloween costumes, right? You're, you're not going to – a fan production is not going to spend the hundreds of dollars for an Anovos tunic, right? That's not going to happen. So, okay, I see, I, I see that, right? I recognize that. That's, that's fair. However, you know, I'm thinking of past films that have used actors that have been involved in Star Trek before, right? So Chase Masterson, Garrett Wong, Walter Koenig, uh, Tim Russ – I, I mean, these were added bonuses, right? Like these, these it was, it was the actors were interested in in the story. I don't know that a fan production needs them. Like, do they really need them? Like, why is that such a a point of contention? It's not just the actors, though. That's anybody who's ever worked on visual effects, or for instance, anybody who's ever done anything for Star Trek Online, theoretically, can never do a fan production. But how many of those are there? How many no, not, of those kind of people are there trying to produce fan production? No, not right? many. Like, I think Tommy many, Kraft, yeah. right? Tommy Kraft and, and Star Trek Horizon, he didn't have anybody that was that was on the production that was affiliated with Star Trek, at least that I am aware of, right? None of the actors that I recognized from an, a Star Trek universe film or franchise, you know, the only ones I think about are Continues, Gods of Men. There could potentially be a conflict of interest with an actor representing the brand in a fan production and we know and we have seen firsthand that cbs has a hard time controlling and reigning people that produce Mm -hmm. things for them (coughs) jj (laughs) you know like they clearly they have a hard time so i think this is their attempt of i think this is their attempt at trying to mitigate potential public relations issues right you know if if they don't want tim russ to be portraying Tuvok in a way that is unbecoming of what the original writers on Voyager wanted him to be. As a paid actor, right, you're married to the script and you're married to the original playwright. The other thing I wanted to just briefly touch on was about the non-commerciality clause, point number six in the fan guidelines, which is arguably very directed by Axnar because there were a lot of allegations on that side, which we won't go into. But a lot of the commentary that I've been seeing from members of the community has been saying that these guidelines have effectively killed anyone's ability to do any sort of fundraising to fund a fam production. So just to recap, they don't object to limited fundraising as long as it does not exceed $50,000. Okay. The fan production can only be exhibited on a no-charge basis. It cannot be distributed in a physical format. And there is no unlicensed Star Trek-related or fan production-related merchandise or services can be offered or given away as premiums, perks, or rewards in connection with fundraising. So so that last one is the one that confuses It's Basically, me. it's saying with the current model where you are giving away copies of the DVD as you donate $20 and you get a copy of the DVD, can't do it. It can only be produ- it can only be shown free of charge and you can't give anything related to the fan production away as a perk. 
So you can't give away scripts, you can't give away costumes, you can't give away props, you can't give away Star Trek anything. Uh, all right. That's yeah, because what are you what what are you supposed to? You basically you can't do that kind of Kickstarter related fundraising effort because you don't have any perks to give away. Yeah, it's like it's it's GoFundMe essentially is is what yeah. people are limited to now. Now, ha- having said all that, like. I actually am quite intrigued to see what will come out of this because I think there are still a lot of fans out there who haven't been heard yet, people that want to produce things, who are going to come up with some creative ways that are low budget, short productions that I think you'll see people who have an opportunity here to really shine. So I'm excited to see what will come out of it. but. They can they can make their own costumes. They can make their own costumes. They just can't remake a TNG era jumpsuit, right? They can't remake it, but they can generate their own new uniform, right? As long um, as they don't use a combat. I think wow. it's where it starts to get a little really? muddy there. <laughs> uh, you know what? That, that's still all yeah. right. That's and okay. don't speak you know, Klingon. You know, I think these guidelines are clouded with the negativity that that has happened because of the litigation with Axanar. But these guidelines needed to have come at some point. They had to have, right? They should have come out several years ago. This should not have been a reactionary move from CBS or Paramount. This should have been more of a preventative because then we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have this divisiveness in the community over a production like Axanar, right? There, there, there wouldn't be this, this type of back and forth arguing because the... the the situation would have been clear from the beginning, right? Or you have one or two, you know, this should have been in as a, this should have been a reactionary to gods of men and Star Trek continues, right? And that's it. And then, oh, and then, and then those productions would have had to have adapted in some way, shape or form. But right now it's more like, well, gee, thanks Axanar. Like that's, that's the reaction that I'm seeing. Like it, thank gee, thanks Axanar. Had it not been for you, you know, we wouldn't even have these guidelines. In, we wouldn't even have these guidelines in the first place. But in reality, we needed them. Right? Yeah, the, the, the productions agreed. needed the, them. The timing kind of sucks, and it works against CBS and Paramount, which is unfortunate. And of course, we haven't, at the time of this recording, we haven't heard any kind of information from those existing fan productions that are now very clearly in violation of a black and white printed guideline about how they're going to proceed and we'll just have to wait and see what they come up with because I doubt CBS or Paramount are going to release a statement on those individual productions they will leave it up to them to resolve it themselves but like you I'm excited about what type of creativity will come from this right because I've I've watched some of the fan productions for Star Wars and those are short but boy are they sweet you know those are short and sweet so we'll see we'll see what comes of it So that leads us to our first community question. Do you think these guidelines will stymie fan productions or usher a new wave of creative storytelling in the Star Trek universe? Well, with the new Trek series set to begin filming in September, we've had relatively few details beyond who is going to be in the production team and a few writers. But this week, Steve Weintraub of Collider.com caught up with showrunner Brian Fuller at the Saturn Awards, and Fuller was able to reveal that they're actually decently far into the production process. But we won't get too many more details, probably until after Comic-Con. 
Among the juicy tidbits of information, there will be 13 episodes in the first season, and the story arc is completely written. Also, the first six episode scripts are already finished, and they'll be putting up sets in a few weeks' time. Now, this will also be one story told over 13 episodes. Fuller said, quote, There are 762 episodes of Star Trek television, so we have to tell stories differently than they've been told for 50 years. End quote. Now, as regards to directors, they haven't booked directors yet, but Vincenzo Natale has been chosen as the producing director. They did note that he will not be directing the first episode. Fuller has also met with a few actors for casting, and he says, quote, There's a few people that we like, and we want to carry on what Star Trek does best, which is being progressive. So it's fascinating to look at all of these roles through a colorblind prism and a genderblind prism, end quote. Fuller also gave some insight into the length of the episodes, which he said is flexible since it will be on a streaming service, but he implied that it would be around an hour-length show. All right, so first up, I am super excited that we're going to see, you know, one story over 13 episodes, right? I think that television is not is is clearly in that direction, right? It is it's not a ship, it's not a show in a bottle kind of unless it's a sitcom. It's not a show in a bottle kind of storytelling. It is it is a plot that thickens over time. People die, people come back, people cook meth, whatever the case may be, whatever show you enjoy, this is the way television storytelling has progressed now in 2016. Yeah, because it spins watching. Right, 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 right. And I'm really excited. I'm really excited about this. I I can't wait to find out what that story is going to be. Because you invest more, too. You invest more in the actors and the characters. I have to jump in here. I am very disappointed that there's only 13 episodes per season. It oh, is yeah, the first yeah, time sucks. ever that a Star Trek series has been cut down to 13 episodes per season. At minimum, it's always been 24, if not 26 episodes for a season. And they're doing 13? I think that's terrible. Yeah, no, it's uh, that, uh, that I don't like. That I particularly don't like. Now, is that just for the first season? Uh, that's what they've said so far. But you know what? I think, I think you guys got to get with the times. This is not, you know the late 90s where everything is broadcast television this is a streaming tv show on a streaming service and that's what the difference st- does that make? and that's the standard now that's what people no, expect no, what difference what, does that make what difference it makes is that you can stream 13 episodes you can binge watch 13 episodes you can do the same with 24 26 episodes okay maybe well. you have maybe you can <laughs> Yeah, but no, it is. She's right. She's right. It is. A st- I mean, you look at a show like Daredevil, you know, that's only 13 episodes of the first season. You know, it, it, 24 doesn't. You can tell a great story in 13 episodes and leave it. Leave the leave the viewers wanting more. Right. Daredevil is an excellent example of this. Right. Daredevil only had 13 and boom. And Orange is the New Black. You know, these are these are short episodes at about an hour length. No commercials, mind you, because now now that's something to consider too. Winters is that they were 24 episodes, but they were only 44 minutes long. Yeah, about 44, you know, 40 45. something. So now we're going to have a full hour show, which is about, you know, it, when it comes to production value, those end up being almost mini movies, right? They're movies. And we're going to have 13 of those. At least it's not like Doctor Who where it's five and then we have to wait three years, okay? Yeah, but this is 
setting a standard for Star Trek going forward in the future, I think. I think it's bringing Star Trek into the future, honestly. I think it's bringing it to the present. You know, the way that television, and particularly, like Kenneth said, streaming television is moving. Because you can do 13 episodes in a weekend. You can't do 26 in a weekend. But but remember, that's not happening, though. Remember, they're releasing these episodes Uh, once a week. Yeah, but at the end of the 13 weeks, and remember, that's only three months... Then you can binge Who's them in one go. Who's going to do that? Who's going to do? Are you doing that? I probably that? would, yeah. I'm doing that with Outlander right now because Outlander was, I was finding it difficult to follow what was going on. So I've stopped after about the first four episodes of Outlander and I'm saving them up. And when it's all done, I'm going to sit down for a weekend and watch them back to back. So you're going to tolerate spoilers, right? Because we're going to, we got to, we're going to talk about yeah, it on the program. I don't one. mind. I, but that's that's just me. I don't mind spoilers. I would rather it's more valuable to me to be able to sit down in one go and watch the whole thing and understand what's going on and not have to wait than, than getting it piece by piece. I don't mind. And also, Winters, I would also rather have 13 high-quality, high-production-value episodes than 24 episodes where they're struggling on how they're going to spend every budgetary dollar like they did on TNG. Right? It's like, oh, what are we going to do? Oh, let's just do 90% of the show on the bridge. (laughs) All right. You've all got some valid points there. But what about this? One episode per week, 13 weeks, and then there's nothing for a whole year. Well, uh, now, to be fair, you don't know that there's nothing for a whole year. Well, I'm going on uh, something like Homeland, which is doing this 12 episodes or 13 episodes per season, and there's nothing for a whole year. I'm guessing now because they're doing the same thing with this new episode or series of Star Trek, it's probably going to be the same thing. 13 episodes, rest of the year there's nothing. And they've probably left a massive cliffhanger or something. That's that's where the difference is with storytelling television the way it is now, right? Daredevil, for instance, wrapped up at the end of its season. It, it, It had a really nice little, you know, end note, right? And then, but the story progressed in season two. So, uh, same thing with Walking Dead, right? Right now, everybody is flipping out. This last season of Walking Dead, they ended it in a cliffhanger, right? I, that doesn't fly anymore for, for people, especially binge watchers, right? That's not going to fly to have a cliffhanger and then have to wait a whole year. Whatever stories they tell, if they follow the type of television that we're seeing nowadays, each season is going to have a, a, a nice beginning, a nice middle, and a strong end. I still don't like it. Anyway, because I'm used to TNG, DS9, Voyager, 24, 26 episodes per season. I don't like 13. That is the biggest thing that I... I, Ooh, I detest it. It just... (laughs) We can tell you're a bit upset. (laughs) I am. Where's my beer? (laughs) The other thing that I found interesting was, you know, the, the being able to look at actors in a colorblind and genderblind yeah, prison. Yeah, and the the other thing that they kind of implied in the Collider.com article that I'm not sure I got quite the same effect from is that there could be a lesbian or gay or transgender, who knows? But they appear to draw the conclusion that Brian Fuller would like that to happen. Now, I absolutely support it, right? And I think many of us at Priority One support that type of storytelling. My fear is that they're going to, I'm going to make up a word here, alienize the character, right? Like, like they did with, with Trill, right? With, with Trills. They, they pushed the envelope, and for the 90s, 
man, that was that was that was pretty good, right? The way that they they used Trill to talk about gender, right, and sexuality. That was fantastic for the time. But for, if they try to pull that now, I feel like that's a cop out, right? It, don't paint their face blue. Call them some genderless species from another planet just to provide an allegory to today's political climate. No. Make a, if they're, if they're going to be human, make them human. I agree. They have to be us. This is one of the complaints that I remember ranting about on a previous episode of Priority One Podcast. That traditionally, Star Trek has a tendency to examine these social issues by going to a strange planet where this social issue happens. And then they go and resolve it. And then they go back on their starship, which is the perfect utopian civilization with nobody has any problems and everyone's the same. <laughs> I mean, uniformly different, I should say. So I'm, I'm hoping that they make these people human and minority in whatever way that you can think. And not just ignore it either. Talk about it. You know, use that progressivism to actually address issues that we have currently in our society today and maybe take a view of how they might see those things in whichever century they're going to set it in but don't don't just ignore it and and gloss over it and and make it an alien problem and lastly captains it is with a heavy heart that we report anton yelchin known best for his role as pavel chekhov in the new track movies died on the morning of sunday june 19th in an automobile accident Born to Russian figure skaters, he moved to the United States at age six and began his acting career in 2000 on the television series ER. He would later become the beloved whiz kid in the new Star Trek films by J.J. Abrams. He was only 27 years old. The entire cast and crew of Priority One Podcast sends their deepest condolences to his family, his friends, and his fellow actors. Now, let's get Mark in on the discussion and find out what's been happening this week in Star Trek Online. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Well, Captains, welcome to Star Trek Online News, where Mark and I bring you the big news of the week in Star Trek Online. And once again, there's some pretty big news this week. Gigi Verse is gone. Well, the name that is. It's time for the rise of the Kelvin timeline. Lead designer Al Captain Gecko Rivera clarified in a tweet this week, quote, Kelvin timeline is the official name for that universe timeline according to CBS, end quote. Yes, after much rumour, speculation and wishing, both for and against, Cryptic announced its inclusion in Agents of Yesterday. Which brings us to a new mission. The Terminal Expanse, which will take players not only back in time, but to this Kelvin timeline. According to Cryptic, quote, while most are content to allow alternate realities to be, others have looked on them as opportunities to exploit. The consequences to the natives be damned, end quote. The mission will be available to all players at level 40 and above on the launch of the new expansion. Cryptic seem to be fleshing out the story content for all characters embedding this expansion into the existing game rather than just adding more end-game content and new missions for level 60 players. So, can we talk about this for a second? Okay. Okay, here's my question. Is it a good idea to bring the Kelvin timeline into Star Trek Online? That's a tough question. That is. I think we would need to see more of where it goes rather than... It can't be a one-off. If they're going to do it, they need to commit. 
Uh, I don't know about that. Uh, no, I, I mean, if you, do, if you do it as a flash in the pan thing, it'll be kind of gimmicky and, you know, throw stuff in just for the sake of it. I think if they're going to do it, come back and maybe come back to it again and come back to it again and come back to it again. Don't just have it a... Uh, I thought, oh look, we're we're acknowledging their existence. We are trying to bring the two worlds together, and then done. Okay, I can kind of see your point, but I suspect that it would probably be more like uh, the mirror universe, if anything. Yeah, that's kind of what I was trying to say. Kinda, I just probably you know, didn't explain it very well. Yeah, it could be revisited on occasion at some point in the future if they decide that that's appropriate for the story. But it's I I'm not sure I'd like to see like a whole story arc, like whole branching story arc or something. The I'm Kelvin sure timeline faction. Oh God. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> Only you can prevent forum fires, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but seriously, you know, this I was actually surprised because the feedback that I've seen so far from most players has actually been pretty positive. Well, either neutral or positive. Uh, I was expecting it to be. I think uh, one Doom. post I saw had like hundreds and hundreds of responses and I thought, oh, here we go. So, of course, I clicked on it. And actually, most people were like, hmm, sounds really interesting, looks pretty, can't wait to see what they've done with it. And I have to say, I agree with them. I'm very curious to see how they're going to work these things in. I mean, of course, we kind of have already touched on the... I keep wanting to say JJ-verse. I'm just going to keep calling it JJ-verse. And we'll bleep you in with um, Kelvin Timeline. Yeah, the Kelvin Timeline JJ-verse. We've already sort of seen that, haven't we, with the Hobus disaster. So it's already been sort of referred to, but we haven't actually gone into that timeline yet. And of course, you know, with the new movie coming out, it is part of the franchise. And I know that some people don't like it, but it is an official, established kind of, you know, branched canon. And it's good to see that they appear to have found a way to integrate that into Star Trek Online in a way that it doesn't destroy both branches of the timeline. I'm on the fence with this. I think I'm going to reserve judgment until I actually see the whole thing done and finished. It's either going to be probably a huge success or a devastating failure. I'm just on the fence. I don't know which side of the fence I'm actually on with it. I'd have to see it before I'd be able to make an informed opinion on it. Well, the, the people that I've heard who have played it have had overwhelmingly positive reviews of it. So I'm hopeful. But as with all those things, I'm waiting until it comes out. But yeah, the the initial reports are positive. Yeah, we kind of bag that with the oh, spoiler. I've played it. Um, <gasps> you have? I had to. Okay. I had to check out at least the visuals. Okay, and no spoilers. No spoilers. But what did you think of it? It's a really good story. It is a really okay. good story. And I wasn't completely repulsed by its presence. You know, okay. the ships are done really well. The, the other parts that you see of that universe are done really well. Is there lens flare? No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Not that I noticed. You know, maybe that's going to get done in post. Like, oh, maybe, on before yeah. it goes to the server. Yeah. That would just be a very, <laughs> a very, very nice touch. Yeah. I would like them to explain canonically, actually, the lens flare. That would be fun. The amount of polarizing that was on. Because of the because of the uh, the Hobus disaster, actually, there's extra particles in subspace that make more lens flare. I don't know. I don't know. It'd be fun. Anyway, yeah, should we move on? Yeah, something maybe should to we ask our science advisor earlier. Oh yes. Yeah. See that nice little segue. So that brings us to this week's community question. What do you think about officially bringing the Kelvin timeline into Star Trek Online? 
With a new mission, we've also had confirmation that Joseph Gat will be reprising his role as the cyborg crewman 0718 in Star Trek Online. You may remember him as the bald man in the blue shirt with the piercing blue eyes, whose presence on the Tribble Test server a few weeks back was hailed as evidence that we would be visiting the JJ-verse, sorry, Kelvin timeline. In Star Trek Online, we'll be meeting him after his work on the Enterprise. Since then, he's been out on the frontier engaging the aliens' fear builders knew it, on the USS Yorktown. However, these visitors seem to be bringing the Kelvin timeline a little trouble and are more than the crew can handle. For more of Gat's thoughts about being involved in STO, we'll leave a link to the blog in our show notes at priorityonepodcast.com forward slash PO276. And as if last week's details on the 23rd century starships wasn't enough, this week we've got more details about the brand new 26th century temporal starships that are launching with agents of yesterday. There's the Nautilus-class science vessel, the Theseus-class escort, Sagittarius-class cruiser, and the Paladin-class battlecruiser. Unlike their 23rd century counterparts, these ships are all Tier 6, fully-fledged endgame ships, and they have the added bonus that if you really dig that 23rd century aesthetic, you'll be able to switch to the TOS-style ship costumes if you own those ships. Note that doesn't mean you'll be able to kitbash 23rd century saucers onto 26th century hulls, Thomas Maroney told us, quote, you can choose either or, they're just too different to mix, end quote. As we suspected, these ships all make use of the new temporal bridge officers, and they each also have a fleet version. Also common to all ships is that new molecular deconstruction mechanic that we talked about with the 23rd century ships last week. And finally, all these ships come with a brand new 26th century bridge. So here's the deal. Each of these ships is likely to cost around $30 individually in the Zen store, or alternatively, you can get them in the Temporal Special Agent Pack for around $120, along with a whole bunch of other ships and goodies. The question is, is it worth spending the money on? If you're space rich or play Star Trek Online for its collectible goodness, then definitely yes. In fact, the Uber pack with all the ships and costumes is going to be your best bet in terms of value, just for the costume options alone. However, if you're a casual player, should you drop your cash at launch? I personally would not recommend it. There's a good chance that in the future, the molecular deconstruction mechanic, uh, maybe the temporal boff abilities and maybe one or two of the traits or consoles, they might become the new meta on how you should run your endgame. But if you're already in a tier 6 ship you're happy with, you're probably going to play Agents of Yesterday just fine with what you've already got. And for this week's patch notes, there's just a few fixes that you might find interesting. Hotbox weapons have been standardised so that going forward they will all be account bound. Previously, there were a mix of character-bound and account-bound. Existing versions that are already bound to character sadly cannot be unlocked as account-bound. John Steady, aka Cryptic Rock, confirmed on Reddit that it is a technical limitation of the binding system. I would imagine that if they were to change that, it would be a fix-up script that they would have to do, and it would probably crash the entire server. So I'd say that's why they're not doing it at all, because that fix-up script would just be enormous and it'd probably crash everything. Yeah, so maybe not a great option. They resolved the issues where some players were having difficulty reclaiming past event ships, including the Dyson Science Destroyer, Breen Shell Gret, or the Breen Press Brick. There are some special cases where it still might not work, but most players should find now it works. And finally, they've updated the ESD memorial to add Anton Yelchin. Again this week, in an effort to bring you some of the news and comments from PWE and Cryptic that aren't officially announced in the blogs, here's the latest comments pulled from the Twitterverse. 
Al Rivera at Captain Gecko tweeted, Thank you, Chase Masterson, for lending your voice again to Star Trek Online. Sometimes I have the best job ever. Community manager Laughing Trendy tweeted, I actually got legit super excited and called everyone over to see some new screenshots. Do share, Trendy, please. Thomas Maroney at cryptic underscore TTC tweeted, Definitely the best thing about doing what I do is seeing it inspire other people to make cool stuff themselves. Love it so much. And lastly, before we wrap up Star Trek Online news, here are some upcoming events to look forward to. Basically, there's just one event. July 6th, Agents of Yesterday. Get your chores done, kids, and prepare to dive in. Be there or be square. Of course, as always, events are subject to change without notice, but hopefully not this one. Make sure you check the in-game calendar or listen in here at Priority One Podcast for the latest news and updates from Star Trek Online. And now, let's head to the Astrometrics Lab with the latest from our science advisor, Dr. Park. When scientists are collecting data on astrophysical phenomena in Star Trek, it always seems like there's some kind of unique sound associated with that data. Now, in the real world of astronomy, that is a very rare occurrence, but thanks to the scientists at LIGO, it seems to be becoming increasingly common. For this week's astrometrics report, we're going to listen to the latest results from LIGO, the Laser Interferometer Gravity Wave Observatory. It was just a few months ago when LIGO scientists announced the first ever direct detection of gravitational waves, in this case coming from the merger of two black holes, each around 30 times the mass of the Sun. This month, at the American Astronomical Society meeting in San Diego, California, LIGO scientists announced the second confirmed detection of a merger between two black holes. This time the black holes were a little smaller, around 8 and 14 times the mass of our Sun, but because of their different masses, the gravitational wave signature that they made was a little different. The difference between the two mergers is something you can hear with your own ears. The LIGO scientists have taken the best fit models for these two mergers and rendered that as an audio file. Could you hear the difference? The first sound was from the original announcement, dating from September 14th while the second was from the newly announced event that occurred on December 26th, or uh, Boxing Day. Because the black holes in the Boxing Day event were less massive, their orbit was more rapid around one another before they eventually merged, generating higher frequency gravitational waves. Although the overall strength of the gravitational wave signal was a bit weaker this time, more of it fell at the higher frequencies that form LIGO's sweet spot for detection. This meant that LIGO was actually able to follow the merger for several seconds, as opposed to only a couple tenths of a second for the September event. As it turns out, both events occurred at roughly the same distance, about one and a half billion light years away. LIGO can first start to detect the gravitational waves emitted by the orbiting black holes when they hit a frequency of around 30 hertz. Now as they spin closer and closer together, the frequency shifts up and creates that characteristic chirp. The sound I played for you the first time has actually been upshifted in frequency to more naturally hit the frequencies the ear operates at. So let's listen to those two chirps again, and then I'll repeat those, but this time at the natural frequencies that LIGO detects.
Now the merger sounds at the natural frequency sound more like a thud than a chirp, and you probably need really good speakers or earphones in order to hear it. In case you think the sound of merging black holes is kind of cool and might make a nice ringtone or text tone, well, you're in luck. If you go to the LIGO project page, you'll find versions of these chirps that have been rendered for both iPhone and for Android devices. You can just install them, and your next text message might signal a cataclysmic event in the distant universe. That wraps it for this month's Astrometrics Report. So, back to you guys. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open healing frequencies for your incoming messages. Last week's community question was, are the new temporal bridge officers enough to tempt you into buying a new temporal ship to make use of them? James Sellett wrote on our Facebook page, The only thing to get me to buy one now is to add more episodes, some sort of new activities to use them, otherwise it's just dressing up nice with nowhere to go. That's not true. You could go to the place where ISA is, and you could go to the Dyson Sphere, and you could go to, I don't know, some other places? Badlands Battle Zone? There you go. Ah, dressing up nice, you can take your fancy new ship out to all sorts of places. It's just, it's a lack of creativity saying there's nowhere to go. You got like a whole bunch of sectors now. There's a whole map. Have a look at it. You could choose a place. <laughs> Anyway. The whole universe out there. Yeah, well, a quarter of the galaxy, but yeah. Anyway, AJ Biega tweeted us, Ships are reason enough. Better have them and not need them, rather than need them and not have them. Which is, which is nice if you can afford them all. Tyler Maxwell replied on our forum post, Nah, I was already planning on getting them. Though the new ship powers and specialization will hopefully lead to new, interesting kinds of builds. Well, I am actually hoping this, because there's quite a lot of new little mechanics, little tweaks that they've added that are common across all of the new uh, all of the new ships, the 23rd century and also the 26th century, and I doubt they're going to be in the 31st century ones, but I forget what it's called, the molecular deconstruction mechanic. It could end up being something that a lot of people end up using, and of course, because these ships are going to be so common, possibly, uh, after the new expansion, who knows, we might actually see uh, six months' time from now, everybody's using it. We'll have to wait and see. Juan Aguilar posted on Facebook, No, a ship is worth more than its metals. The fact that it can use a temporal specialist bridge officer doesn't make it any more or less appealing than if it has a bridge officer alert that does not appeal to me. Well, that wraps up episode 276 of Priority One Podcast. But before we go, here's a reminder of this week's community questions. Do you think the new Star Trek fan production guidelines will stymie creativity in fan productions? Or will it inspire creativity in future storytelling? And what do you think about officially bringing the Kelvin timeline into Star Trek Online? Captains, you know we love hearing from you, so leave us those comments for those community questions on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page, Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or you can tweet us via at PriorityOnePod. You can even leave us a voicemail via SpeakPipe. Just click on the widget right on our homepage. Don't miss a thing from the world of Star Trek. Catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. 
And if you're listening to us via iTunes or Google Play, please leave us a review. And more importantly, help spread the word about the show. Invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com. Covering the world of space sims, including Star Citizen, Elite Dangerous, Descent Underground, and many, many more. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. Thanks to our graphic artists, Romulan Ale and Jason Smith. Thanks to all our bloggers and their managing editor, L. To our writer and social media manager, Jake Morgan. To our video editor, Jerry Tillman. And to consultant Midnight Shadow 7 of Sweet Media for supporting this show. Thanks to our audio team, led by Michael McDonald, with assistance from Brandon Parker, Jake Morgan, Asmaria Depost, and Gavin LaWarn. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Ready weapons. Engage. sense <laughs> uh, how far is my phone buzzing like I, I don't know how would we know that no well because it might pick up on the microphone uh, my cat's staring at me she might be making noises <laughs> oh there here we go <clears throat> right he's finished one drink he's gonna stare at another yep no, I'm not. Not until later. Wait, hang on. Of course, don't... <coughs> it's coming too, man. I knew it. <coughs> it's it's worse when you... It actually does more damage for you to clear your throat. Oh. Because what you're doing is slamming your vocal cords together. I know, I've Causing seen... it to be more irritated and then producing more phlegm. So you have to hum it out. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Mm. <laughs> got a bit. Mm. <laughs> okay, huh? I'm good. My God, I got. Oh. Listen to me. <laughs> Hello, uh, me. Huh? <clears throat> and final. Oh God, it's even worse now. I told you, you can't clear your throat. I'm gonna Don't you clear your throat? That's how you handle it. Wow, it's. <clears throat> just like I'm at Stop a frat it. party in the late 90s. <laughs> it's amazing. You can't clear your throat. It's just hum it out. Hmm. Well, I don't know where it's mm. supposed to go. Mm. Mm. <laughs> go low. What about, what about that? That, <laughs> that was disgusting. Remember oh how earlier God. I...
remember how earlier I suggested that you being up close with the microphone would bring listeners in? Oh. Well, um, that 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 certainly. Um, oh man, that that'll certainly affect our numbers. Oh man, I wish I had an umbrella for that one. I know it's We're fine, still, Eliza. We're I'll bring it. I'll, br- I'll bring it back. And finally. Thanks again to all our Patreon supporters who make this show possible from week to week. Visit us at patreon.com forward slash priority one. What? You're sounding (laughs) a little bit like you're hurting. I am hurting a little bit because I'm like hunching over to get close to my mic. It's a little bit weird. to priority one. (laughs) We welcome your feedback. (laughs) Was it not sexy? I was trying to be sexy. I mean... Was, Maybe it kind of sounded. It kind of sounded like Winters shortly after he hit his shin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Oh, thanks, Elijah. You've cheered me right up with that mental image. <sighs> oh, hmm. Okay, I'm back. Lead designer Al Captain Gecko Rivera clarified this in a fic. Sorry. <laughs> I should have read it over more. Lead designer, Al Captain Gecko Rivera, clarified in a tweet about this week. That doesn't make sense to me. No. There's no clarified about... in a tweet this week. Uh-huh. Okay. Rise on the tweet and Rise. descend on the this week. <laughs> <laughs> Raise your eyebrows and, and smile. Laura. And go. <laughs> Jesus. Sorry. Oh, it's just so funny. Lead designer, Alan Captain Gecko. <laughs> how, how many times in your lifetime have you said Alan Captain Gecko Rivera? That's like we say that at least twice an episode. I know. I'm, I'm having the existential crisis or something. <laughs> Quote, Kelvin Timeline is the official name for that universe timeline. What the f- Yeah, I need a minute. This is just, I'm having... <laughs> Mark, speak good English tonight. There's too many timelines and too many Kelvins. To, yeah, too ma- to be to <laughs> and to be fair, you are trying to re- to read a tweet. Yeah, written by like a Californian. Uh huh. So there's probably like a cultural problem going probably. on. Probably. That's just I'm putting that down to everything. There's always going to be a cultural problem for me. <laughs> Can I just start from the quote, please? You do whatever you want. I'm just having a drink. <laughs> having a drink, you mean you're eating your drink. In fact, in fact yes, I'm eating my drink. <laughs> in fact, take your time. Okay. <laughs> Kenna? Qu- what? Are you in the nude again this week? <laughs> <laughs> Star Trek Online nudes. Oh, <laughs> uh, my God. This week in Star Trek Online nudes. Right, I'm just going to mute everything so I can get through this. <laughs> And not here, the Muppet Gallery. I like how we've been recording for three minutes and, and we've said three anything. sentences. <coughs> According to Cryptic. No, I'm saying that again. Cryptic, you're Cryptic. I'll get According you to Cryptic. Copa. Copa. That's almost as bad as, uh, what was it? Laughing Twendy tweeted. Twendy. Laughing Twendy. Can you try that one again? Yep. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce it either, but. Shellgrit. <laughs> Chelgret. Chelgret. Green plush brick. Mm-hmm. Plush brick, yeah. Which sounds like some kind of like posh breakfast cereal. It does. 
plush brick. <laughs> New from Marks and Spencer's plush brick. This just isn't any breakfast. This is a Star Trek Online breakfast. Get your day off to the best start possible. <laughs> and have Ice a cool glass. <laughs> and have a cool glass of Chell Grech, of Grech yeah. along with it. <laughs> boop, boop. This is Elijah, feedback, sync one. This is Kenna, feedback, sync two. This is Mark, feedback, sync three. This is Winters, feedback, sync four. Feedback in three. Two. I am insulted at Winters' attempt at an American accent. That was not an American accent. It was you, though. (laughs) All right, feedback in three, two. And Jan, no, I had this in my head. Isn't it? Is it? One. One. Aguilar. I'm trying to get the last thing. Aguilar. Elijah, how do you pronounce Juan that? Aguilar. The Aguilar. Juan Aguilar. Juan. 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 Not Juan. Juan. There's a Juan. There's a Juan. A Juan. Juan. Aguilar. Aguilar. <laughs> it's it's as good. Put it this way: it's as good as Elijah good pronounces as Gavin Lewarn. Uh. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> That's uh. a fair comparison. That's a fair comparison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you now? want me to take that one, Mark? Because I Please. can. No, 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 no! I want to do it. I want to do it. No. Okay, you got it, Mark. Juan Aguilar. No, wait, wait. You can do time. it. I said it. You can Go do it. it. <laughs> Juan Aguilar. Okay. That fine? It's like Aguilera, right? Like Christina Aguilera. Uh, but some people say Aguilera. Mm. Yeah, and I know someone yeah, who does it that, who spells it that way and is Aguilar. <laughs> is that how you pronounce it? <clears throat> Excuse me. Ag- Aguilar. Aguilar. Juan, buenos dias, Juan Aguilar. Welcome to Priority One Podcast. Thank you for your feedback. Now Mark will say your name with an accent. Juan Aguilar. <laughs> <laughs> Someone just take it off me for the love of oh, God. Mio. <laughs> oh, mon Dieu, c'est alors. No, you did fine. You were fine. You are fine. In fact, okay. you could probably just say post it on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> you say that enough times now. Well, because you, you said it nice and clean with a nice break on either end. Back me up here, Winters, but I think he could just go. <laughs> I could. think he could just get on with the Facebook bit. <laughs> Please. Yeah. The fact that it can use a temporal specialist bridge officer. T- I didn't know you could use a temporal specialist bridge officer for that. I said it wrong. Uh. <laughs> On the Star Trek voyeur ship, you could use that for anything. Uh. <laughs> the store twerk. You could go back in time or mm. forward in time. Or sideways in time. You can go whichever way you in can time. Go in and you out want of a to. wormhole. <laughs> oh, God. I have not had enough vodka for this. Give me a second. <laughs> yep, I just finished off my drink. I'll <sighs> tread your event horizon. Off. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. I'm taking a picture of my cat's foot. Okay. <laughs>